Hello and welcome to the Beginning by Thinking show. On today's episode, we're going to be covering No Deal Brexit, the Boris Johnson case, and Putin's food rage. Enjoy. There seems to be this constant orb of chaos always circulating around Brexit. And it's, it's never really gone. It, it's almost like hand in hand with Brexit, you're guaranteed to have chaos either way you go. You know, if you remain, you remain in a rather swampy, bureaucratic system. If you leave, you're destined for recession, high food prices, and a, an awful lot of poverty, probably leading to austerity. Um, but we were sold this oven-ready, pop-it-in, gas-mark-4 uh, meal deal by Boris. And it turns out this meal deal was not so reliable. You know, it's probably more 90% sawdust and 10% razor blades. But what does a hard Brexit really mean for the UK? And should we make concessions uh, to find our way to some fair-ish trade deal? Uh, the first question I can answer However, the second is more opinionated, and a no-deal or hard Brexit will rid us of three main benefits we reap from the European Union. The single market is the first. This is a large trading block that has a common policy on product regulation, resulting in little to no barriers for goods and services. And the vast public consensus is that it's a good, positive impact on the economy. Removal from the single market would allow the EU to apply higher tariffs for the UK, making goods more expensive and less appealing for other countries to buy. The independent estimated tariffs to export goods would cost a total of £4.5 billion a year, and at face value it seems like a sort of dirt thrown in the face of diplomacy, really, and also it just seems like a foolish move to dissipate ourselves from the single market. However, could there be some form of silver lining to this very rainy cloud. All the power the EU would have to apply tariffs on the UK, the UK would also have jurisdiction to apply tariffs on the EU. So, say they do a 20% increase, the UK could equally do a 25% increase, and you could have a resulting tariff war going on. Um, it would also allow the government to apply tariffs on other countries. They won't have a set universal tariff rate. So if, um, say, a product which is perfectly available in the UK is a bit more expensive, um, but you could, say, import it from China for an awful lot cheaper, um, the public would go to the Chinese product rather than the UK one, which means you're circulating money off to China. Um, in this case, the UK would have the power to place higher tariffs on China, so the import, the tax on importing those goods, would be more expensive than the UK product, which means people would circulate towards buying more local, which in the sort of idyllic sense for a leave voter, you would have money circulating around the UK from UK citizens, and also money coming in through the UK's exports. So you wouldn't be losing too much money on imports. However, the idea of exports being this this sort of wonderful thing to, to give us money once we leave the EU is, is kind of a tiny bit of a fallacy. 
because the EU would also have the power to uh, to dictate how many items, how many units we sell to members of the European Union. They could genuinely say, and if they were to, they would be doing this out of spite, and many leavers would argue that if they were to be so spiteful, then why would you want to be in their union anyway? Um, but they would, they could literally have the power to say, you can only export four tea bags. That's it. And that would cause a major, major recession for the UK. Pretty much when the divorce happens between the UK and the EU, there has to be some contingencies made in order for uh, things to actually function. If these contingencies aren't made, you would literally be, it would be illegal to, to fly planes between the UK and the EU. You couldn't fly to the EU full stop. So they have a backup contingency plan, if there is a no deal, um, which would sort of be implemented straight away on January the 1st. Um, but but again, this, this whole idea of no deal um, was a complete failure. And in fact, the PM agrees with me. Boris Johnson said only a year ago, bearing in mind this is 2019, this is sort of before a no deal was seriously on the table, um, that his words were, a no deal would be a failure of statecraft for which we would all be responsible. And so for the sake of business, of farmers and for millions of ordinary people who are now counting on us to use our imagination and creativity to get this done, I want you to know I would overwhelmingly prefer to find an agreement. You know, you listen to this, and if you were to hear this in 2020, you would feel rather relieved, and you would say that the PM is rather optimistic for the future. But if you compare this rhetoric from 2019, just one year ago, to the rhetoric of 2020, you can see how much of a charlatan and a pathological liar he really is. But I've got to repeat the most likely thing now is, of course, that uh, we have to get ready for WTO terms, Australia terms. And don't forget, everybody, we've made huge preparations for this. We've now been at this for four and a half years. And either way, whatever happens, the UK will do very, very well. The best thing to do now for everybody is to follow up all the work that's been done uh, over the last four and a half years, colossal amount of preparation, uh, at our ports, everywhere across the UK, get ready to trade on WTO terms. And there is a, there is a clarity and a simplicity in, uh, in that approach uh, that you know, has its own advantages. Don't you find it somewhat ironic that one year ago, 2019, Boris Johnson was saying it would be a failure of statecraft, a failure of his civic duty to business people, to farmers, to millions of ordinary people, if he were to find his way to a no-deal situation, and now he has the guts to say that, an, that a no-deal Brexit, there's a level of clarity and simplicity to a no-deal Brexit. I mean, this can either be one of two situations. Either the Prime Minister is playing a game of political ping-pong with his own thoughts, or he's just a big mouthpiece for people around him. Before we move on, 
because we can't dedicate the whole podcast to Boris Johnson. I'm sure there will be many opportunities for that to happen in the future. Um, but I'd like to talk about one more thing. There could well be a trade deal on the horizon. Boris Johnson has this very sort of strange passion to be a bastion of hope, some sort of Churchillian figure for the public. You know, most of his appearances have been for the cameras. The way he conducts his government is sort of quite similar to a reality TV show. So it could well be the chance that there'll be a a deal, and maybe even a desirable deal with Europe at the end or the last minute of negotiations. And I, you know, the way he's been sort of lining it up is is certainly sort of connotating that it could be going that way. I mean, Ursula, the president of um, the European Union, has still got a very optimistic hope for a trade deal, whereas Boris Johnson has taken a slightly more pessimistic route. Uh, but he's still saying there could be hope for a trade deal. So I think it's entirely possible that there is still a trade deal on the ropes. Okay, so there are a few more topics from uh, in regards to the EU we need to cover, which is the second and third benefit we reap from the European Union. The Customs Union is a united agreement that results with integration in customs policies. This means all EU members and Turkey integrate and have some kind of free flow trading. Complications arise, however, as exported goods have to be supplied from that country, which makes sense as a member could extort one another by buying cheap foreign goods and selling them on for high prices. As Turkey is a member of the customs union, but not a member of the single market, they could lowball the EU with tariffs and vastly improve their economy. This is mitigated by a rulebook that demands Turkey to abide by the EU trade law. Back in the day, when Theresa May was PM, very disastrous time, uh, she said we would be out of the common commercial policy and the common excel on tariff. This means the UK is no longer a part of the customs union, and we haven't been for a while. The free trade agreement uh, is the last benefit we reap from the EU, or we did reap, um, is very much linked to the single market. Withdrawal from the free trade agreement would be the factor that would permit the EU to limit the amount of exports to the EU members. 44% of the UK's exports are with the EU, worth nearly one quarter of a trillion pounds a year. One could assume that a tax on that one quarter of a trillion pounds would be rather costly to the UK's economy. And finally, Putin's food rage. The cost of basic foodstuffs in Russia is surging. Putin went on state television to explain that the price of sugar has gone up by 71%, and other essentials have had a significant rise in price, even a surging price of pasta after what has been considered a good wheat harvest. On live television, he called out and commanded the economy minister, Maxim Reshnikov, to resolve this within a week. It's not the first time. Putin has tried to berate officials live on air. Many analysts say it's an attempt to deflect any criticisms from the Kremlin onto the government. It seems fairly evident that his scare tactics are wearing thin, as his trust ratings plummeted after the media stunt. Mr. Putin might be losing his tough guy appeal. He urged businesses to keep food prices to be low, 
Ironically, Putin, the former KGB goon, described business people as swindlers. He plans to employ concrete measures to reduce and stabilize the price of foodstuffs. However, there have been no details to elaborate on his ambitions to improve Russia's economy. And that's it for today. Um, I hope you enjoyed. I plan on releasing another podcast Wednesday. Hopefully every single Wednesday. Um, But I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you have a wonderful day. And happy holidays as well, if you are listening to it during that time. 